When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where COVID and climate change are on the White House radar today, And we have both covered, starting with the big take on COVID and the two Americas with Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove. He'll be with us shortly, along with Larry, a man featured in his story and his story of survival. Later, Deputy White House National Climate Advisor Ali Zaidi on infrastructure. And thank you for spending part of your Wednesday with us on Bloomberg Sound On. It's the big take today on the terminal. Trump country rejects vaccines as Delta menace grows. Bloomberg White House correspondent Josh Wingrove has the byline, and he's with us now. Thanks for being here, Josh. Yeah, thank you for having me. You traveled to Springfield, Missouri for this story. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, we're seeing just a disparity appear across the U.S. right now. Some communities have much higher vaccine coverage than others. And if you look at the state level, it looks a lot like the Electoral College map. It's conservative regions that have lower coverage, and it's more liberal regions that have higher coverage. And some of those places right now are getting hit by the Delta variant in particular. And uh, you know the hospitalizations, for instance, in Springfield are higher at one hospital, hospital Mercy, than they've ever been. Uh, and that, of course, is just, you know, heartbreaking to watch the impact that this is having on our communities. And so we wanted to go to try to talk a little bit and try to figure out why it was the uptake of these vaccines is lower. And the answers, of course, are complicated. But uh, we, of course, spoke with uh, uh, Larry Krauk, who had survived COVID himself last year. It, you know, He fought through it for weeks, mm-hmm. uh, came out on the other end. Larry is a, a, an up, upbeat guy who uh, has tried to warn people, you know, listen, you don't want to be like me. This thing packs a punch. Um, but uh, I think, as, as he'll tell you, it's, it, it's a tough sell, and it's a careful sell. If you try to push people and, you know, to do something like this, if you push too hard or push really, frankly, at all, if you shame or anything like that, you're, it's counterproductive. You're just mm-hmm. backing them into a corner and mm-hmm. they're never going to get a vaccine. And so many folks right now are just figuring out how, what, if anything, can we do to try to boost vaccination rates across the country, including in fairly conservative places that might not be, you know, fan number one of Joe yeah. Biden or of Tony Fauci. So right. this is where we're at. And um, yeah, it was a it's a lovely town. They're dealing with they're dealing with a problem right now, and, and they're just trying to figure out how they can get shots in arms. At the very beginning of Josh's story, we are introduced to the aforementioned Larry Krauk. As I read, awoke in a strange hospital. The date written on a dry erase board in that hospital room, December twelfth, twenty twenty. 
Can't be right, he thought. He remembered being treated for COVID at a different hospital in Springfield on November 1st. Larry has been to Helen back with COVID, and he's with us now, Larry. Thank you for being part of the story. Thank you guys for having me on. See a photo of you right here at the top and read your story. And you have since recovered from the coronavirus. You almost died from it. Do you? Uh, well, it, actually, Joe, I did die for 22 seconds. Well, tell us about that. I mean, it. Uh, you you flatlined. Know, a, a situation. Yeah, I flatlined. I, I went in the hospital October 15th and, uh, at, at the Mercy Hospital that uh, Josh was talking about and um, was there for a couple of weeks, doing really good, told I was going home the next week. And then I crashed on November 1st. And uh, uh, as you said, I don't remember anything between November 1st and December 12th. This, of course, before uh, a vaccine that. was available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, completely before it was available. And, um, you know, it uh, it just ravaged me. It, uh, they gave me a 20% chance to live. They told my family to make funeral arrangements and that uh, if I was to come to, I would probably uh, need to need a double lung transplant or be on a ventilator for the rest of my life. Wow. And uh, I've, I've beaten all those odds. Uh, I actually just had a... Uh, visit with my pulmonologist this morning and gave him another big hug and told him I love him for everything he did. And, and uh, you know, he's thinking another year from now I will should be back to somewhat normal with my lung capacity. And that's all, uh, you know, a miracle. I see in the photo that you have scars uh, from the ventilator. Uh, Larry, do you have any lingering symptoms? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll never be uh, the same person I was before I got sick. What are um, they? I, I, woke up, I woke up with what's called frozen shoulders, and that's from my mobility of use of the the tendons and the muscles atrophy. You know, I lost 60 pounds through this, and most of it was muscle. Um, and, you know, I, I will uh, eventually get some some of the strength back in my arms, but probably not all of it. Uh, you see that picture? I'm, I'm 6'2". I was almost 300 pounds when I uh, got sick, so I was a pretty big guy. Um, you know, I'm, I had to reteach myself how to eat, how to walk, how to sit up. Um, I had to, you know, had to learn how to do all that stuff. Um, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to run a full run like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'll never be able to lift the same weight and, and do a lot of the same things I was able to do before. Um, as I've as I've told Josh, and it's in the article, it's it's really all irrelevant, Joe. I'm I'm alive, man, <laughs> and uh, and thank God to, to be alive. You know, Larry, can you talk to me a little bit about or talk to us about what you think people want to hear if they're on the fence about a vaccine? What works in your mind? What doesn't <clears throat> work? Um, and what have people, people asked you or raised you, uh, knowing what they do about what you've gone through? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It's a tough one to answer because it really depends on, I guess, uh, you know, how rooted their, uh, their politics play into this. And, and uh, it, it's tough. You know, I've had some very candid conversations with people who are, like me, kind of middle of the road. And <clears throat> like you had mentioned, they, you know, they don't really trust the government and they don't trust the that the vaccine was rushed, and there's all these things they don't trust. And I just try to explain to them that, you know, I, I don't have the answer to what's going to solve this, but there's a vaccine that's out there that gives you the hope that if you get COVID, you won't get as sick as I was. It's not going to keep you from catching. It's going to keep you from getting as sick as I was. And, uh, you know, sometimes that falls on deaf ears. You know, sometimes it's uh, it's asked to me just to see where I stand, and they want to, you know, rebuke that and, and kind of, you know, throw all this stuff at my way about other medicines that would work better or they didn't work fast enough on me and just things like that. And, and I really don't have any time for that. You know, I tell them, you, you guys know my story, you know what I went through, and you're still instead of standing here and wanting to debate that it's a, a true virus and what it can do to you. I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of shrug my shoulders at times. I'm, I'm, 
you know, like, like Josh had said, it's, uh, if you push too hard, they just turn it off. And you try to give them educated. I tell them to go to the CDC website. I try to tell them to do their real research off of social media and memes and, you know, really look into what this virus does to you and what the vaccine can do to help you. We're talking with Larry Krauk, who is featured in The Big Take by Josh Wingrove today. Trump country rejects vaccines as Delta menace grows. I'm Joe Matthew. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On, and we've got Josh in studio as we talk with Larry. You know, Larry, it's it, as I read the column, I'm introduced as well to your niece, who is not interested in a vaccine despite someone in her close family, you, well, as you put it, dying from covid what's that conversation like uh it's tough man you know you uh, uh, you, you have family and and uh, not all family you know agrees on the same politics or the same views in life and you, you love them even though they're not on the same level sometimes uh it's it's difficult um uh, you know because uh, this this person was very uh present with my wife and my daughter through all of this you know they're the ones that they witnessed me going through this. I was asleep during that time. So, you know, I don't have PTSD from it, but, but they do. And, and this person was part of all of that. And, you know, to, to still have that feeling of, well, I'll let my body, you know, my body's immunities, uh, write out the, the illness if I get it, or, uh, you know, if I get it, it's my time. It's just my time. Well, yeah. I, I, it's tough. You know, you have to, you have to respect that as, as a human, because otherwise you just become combative and nobody wins because you walk away then two sides, you know, with lines in the sand. And, and like Josh said earlier, you, you get pushback and it, that doesn't solve anything. So you, you hope over time that uh, people will, I guess, see the benefit of getting the vaccine. You know, I, I wish no ill will on anyone. So I hope that they don't get COVID. And I hope that if they do get it, they get a version that's very mild and not anything close to what I so, Josh, here we are in Springfield, Missouri. These are the communities we're describing here and learning about from Larry and your journalism that Joe Biden was talking about yesterday. Door-to-door, mobile clinics, going to doctors and pediatricians. You mentioned firefighters. Is any of this going to work in a place like Springfield? I mean, the, the community health center in Springfield has mobile clinics. There's just no demand for them. They, they'll send them to anywhere. And they say when they show up, sometimes they get single-digit uptake. Yeah. You know, go to business, wants to vaccinate workers or offer it to their workers. What Couple happens when you start pay. knocking on doors? Oh, I don't think we're there. We've got I a mean, problem there, you know, no? Yeah. <laughs> Larry, yeah. we are laughing. I, I made a comment to Josh when he was here. We were doing the interview. And, uh, you know, this was pretty heavy uh, conservative Republican country. And even though uh, Trump may have uh, spearheaded the vaccine to get it rolling, you know, it was Biden that stood up and said, you know, we want to get this many people vaccinated by this date. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to look at it this way. If you didn't vote for Biden, you sure as heck aren't going to listen to what he's saying. And you're going to go against anything he says. So they might say it's not political, but it is. You know, Josh and I had a great talk. You know, if if Trump would have got up there and said that, would these same people be resistant to taking this vaccine? You know, that's something you have to put in the back of your mind. Yeah. You know, going door to door and knocking on the door and saying, would you like to get the vaccine? You might as well be selling vacuum cleaners or, or Bibles. You know, I mean, they're just not going to take it. They, they haven't gone out of their own accord to take it. They're surely not going to take it from a stranger showing at their door. Government stranger. The government stranger is not going to help them. Larry Krauk no, no. in Springfield, Missouri. Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House correspondent. Thank you both for bringing us this story today. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Read the story if you haven't already on the terminal. Here in the U.S., by the way, as I turn to the Bloomberg 
vaccine tracker, COVID tracker. 332 million doses have been given so far in the last week. An average of 300, make that 732,000 doses a day were administered. Coming up, we turn to infrastructure, a bit of a different wrinkle as the Democrats push for what's become known as soft infrastructure. Let's get into the details here with Deputy White House National Climate Advisor Ali Zaidi. He's next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On as we turn to the infrastructure push. And President Biden as the salesman in chief back on the road today with a visit to Crystal Lake, Illinois, a conservative leaning suburb of Chicago. We can't wait any longer to deal with climate crisis. We see with our own eyes, and it's time to act. The bipartisan agreement we reached makes some major strides. And there could be more where that is coming from. Climate change prevention through reconciliation, all part of infrastructure, assuming we get that far. And so we bring in Deputy White House National Climate Advisor Ali Zaidi to talk about it. Welcome, Ali, to Bloomberg Radio. It's good to be on. We've been tracking the president here, not just today in Illinois, but on a number of stops over the last couple of weeks here to make the case for infrastructure. And and a lot of it, if not most of it, has been on the so-called hard infrastructure. What are we talking about, though, when we say climate change as a portion of infrastructure? That's a great question. Look, all of these issues intersect one with the other. Um, When we talk about taking care of our forests and improving the resilience of our communities to drought and wildfire. Um, We're talking about protecting the infrastructure we've already built uh, and protecting the infrastructure we hope to build in the future. Um, When we talk about making our uh, infrastructure more resilient in the face of the climate uh, challenges ahead, Um, We're talking about investing in uh, communities that are safer. Um, When we talk about clean energy, uh, it's about putting steel and cement in the ground, putting solar panels and wind turbines up, stringing transmission line across the country. So, look, it's, it's, I think, challenging, really, to to, uh, try to disconnect the human element of uh, what investment we need to make um, from uh, the natural systems and physical systems uh, that we need to harness to tackle the climate crisis. Well, I'm sure you hear the other side of this at, at least as often as I do, Ali, and people say, well, what does that have to do with roads, bridges, and tunnels? Sure. If you fail to invest in uh, forest management or uh, fail to invest in coastal resilience, those roads are going to wash away. Um, If you fail to invest uh, in keeping pace with where our transportation system is going, um, people are going to drive down those roads and they're going to be looking for the charging stations for their electric vehicles uh, that their government has not yet uh, incentivized and catalyzed uh, into the infrastructure. Um, You know, if we're talking about uh, what we need to enable our economy to grow, and that's fundamentally what infrastructure is about, Mm -hmm. Um, then we've got to connect the dots and we've got to make sure 
that we're investing in a holistic way uh, to strengthen the co- the competitiveness of our country um, and and set it on the footing it needs uh, in this changing global economy. Okay, so let's get more specific as we keep talking. What do those mean? What are those priorities? I mean, my gosh, we're talking trillions potentially of dollars that could be allocated to preventing climate change. What are the important ones, Ali? What are the things that you need to have in this package that will do what you're saying, keep roads from washing away, keep public transit moving? Well, one of the things that the president has actually secured support for in the bipartisan infrastructure deal that he has struck um, is to invest in the transmission infrastructure the poles and wires that are going to help uh, bring solar or wind generated in rural areas uh, into those uh, pockets of demand in urban communities, creating job opportunities in both places. Um, Part of it is work that still needs to get done, and that's what the president laid out in Illinois today as part of his Build Back Better uh, agenda. Um, One of those uh, elements is clean energy tax credits, and a clean electricity standard, uh, both of which will drive our grid to be more clean and more resilient. Um, and in fact, just earlier today, um, a group of 80 major businesses, including um, a diverse group like Apple and Exelon and General Motors, they all came out in support of the president's proposal for a clean electricity standard. So these are popular proposals. They are necessary proposals. uh, And that's what the president is focused on working with uh, Congress on both sides of the aisle to move forward. Deputy White House National Climate Advisor Ali Zaidi. Many thanks for being with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. Thanks so much. Stay with us on Bloomberg Radio as we continue our investigation into infrastructure. You'll hear more Conversations like this with members of the administration, with lawmakers on Capitol Hill, as we seek to define infrastructure and get a sense of just exactly where the debate is. Coming up, we turn to the New York mayor's race. As Eric Adams wins the Democratic primary, even if results are unofficial, we're setting up a general election contest now against Republican Curtis Sliwa. Speaker Quinn, what will a race between Eric Adams and Curtis Sliwa look like? Oh, Eric will crush Curtis Lewa. There is not a doubt in my mind. We'll hear remarks from the former council speaker, Christine Quinn, and a conversation straight ahead with the man who will run as the Republican and apparently independent candidate, Curtis Sliwa, next on Bloomberg Radio. Stay here on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. it. Your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid to large size companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry 
and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Radio. We're live in Washington, but next we will turn to the race for mayor of New York. In a conversation with Republican candidate Curtis Sliwa, who will face Democrat Eric Adams, it appears now in the general. Thank you for being with us on Bloomberg. So we have a race for mayor, New York. You've heard this throughout the day on Bloomberg Radio. And we have Catherine Garcia now, Maya Wiley, both conceding to Eric Adams. So this is coming together here. Eric Adams versus Curtis Sliwa for the next several months. And something that I talked about today with Christine Quinn, the former speaker of the New York City Council, disappointed, as expressed in an op-ed recently, just a few days ago in the New York Times, disappointed that no women were able to win the Democratic contest again. You know, I am very concerned that we are on our 110th mayor and we still haven't elected a woman. And that's not to take anything away from Eric Adams, and it should be noted he is only the second black mayor in the city's history. Yes. But we had some really competent women running. And what is it going to take to get the electorate of New York City to see women in an executive frame? Quinn went on to talk about the race and says Eric Adams will, quote, crush Curtis Sliwa. Speaking, of course, for the Democrats. We wanted to speak with Sliwa, who joins us today. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio, Curtis. Oh, my pleasure. And obviously, uh, it's the first day of a four-month campaign to determine who's going to be the mayor of the city of New York. And I believe I'm the guy who's going to save our city. Is crime the top issue in this race? No, it's crime, crime, and crime. And the fact that both our mayor, de Blasio, has refused the additional money that was sent to New York City by President Joe Biden, who released some of that COVID-19 money specifically to hire more police in those cities that were experiencing a rapid increase in violent crime. Our mayor rejected the president twice. And so how are you going to combat crime if you're not going to hire more police? That's something I'm doing with specificity by actually charging a property tax to those who don't pay property tax in the city, Madison Square Garden, NYU, Columbia University, and use that dedicated property tax to hire 3,000 additional police officers, graduate them, and make sure they're properly trained with orders to go back and be proactive, not preactive like before, and to give them back their qualified immunity, which was stripped from them by city council which is the protection that every civil servant, every elected official, every judge, every prosecutor has from personally being sued. The police are never going to intervene. They're never going to physically risk life and limb to save us and to prevent us from being victims if they think that ultimately they could be the object of a personally directed lawsuit that bankrupts them. Well, advocates for criminal justice reform obviously disagree with you. They say that's the very problem right now in our police departments, is that they cannot be sued or held accountable. Well, the problem uh, with our police department is that the very justice warriors and acolytes of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat Socialists of America, 
who advocate that we defund the police even more, they always seem to have their own private armed security offices assigned to, assigned to them to provide for their own personal protection. We've seen these sanctimonious hypocrites violate that time and time again. So if you're a purist and you say we should defund the police, then no armed police officers should be assigned to any of the elected or appointed officials to protect them. In fact, I was offered a unit of intel as for being the Republican primary winner uh, to travel with me in the general election. And I said, no, no, no. These police officers need to be reassigned into the streets where there are drive-by shootings, there are gang retaliatory shootings, and the violent crime level is skyrocketing, only threatening to get worse over a long, hot summer. You can't have it both ways. Following what we saw last summer in the marches across the country and some of the biggest were right where you are in New York City. What is your take on the Black Lives Matter movement? You've talked about defunding the police and qualified immunity. Was, was, is that movement just wrong on those fronts? No, no. Look, every, every citizen in the United States has a right to legally and peacefully protest. Many of those protests soon became riots involving shooting and looting, especially when Antifa got involved. I just mean no with regard to the, the issues that they're talking about, though, the, the points they're making, qualified immunity was at the very center of the calls for reform. Yeah. And what about with the judges who unfairly, unfairly incarcerated so many men and women of color to long terms for crimes they didn't commit? Do they have qualified immunity? Yes. What about prosecutors who are guilty of the same indiscretions? Why should one agency not be protected by the taxpayers, yet all other agencies are protected? Well, I'm assuming that because it is that one agency that can take your life. What about in hospitals? <laughs> medical malpractice, right? That's what doctors have to get medical malpractice for. That's what hospitals need medical malpractice insurance for. Look at Andrew Cuomo. We know now there's documentary evidence <laughs> that his executive orders caused the deaths of senior citizens who were switched from hospitals with COVID-19 to long-term care units. Yet he is protected by qualified immunity. There are hundreds of lawsuits. But police carry guns and are actually licensed to use deadly force. You don't think that's different than than somebody dying in an unintended fashion through, for instance, malpractice, like you said. This this is why some think police should be held to a higher level. I, I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference if a judge has sentenced you to 25 years for a crime you did not commit. Prosecutors who have sentenced you for crimes you did not commit. Where is the culpability on their part? How does that person get back that 25 years they spent behind bars? And yet we, the taxpayers, provide them with qualified immunity. Look, if you want police without guns, as Wiley, one of the candidates, the AOC candidate, suggested, well, then you'll have a society that has anarchy, that has lawlessness, and there'll be many, many more shootings, many, many more deaths. How's that defund the police movement working? How's that no-bail situation working? Skyrocketing violent crime rates and the victims of people in col- of color who live in the inner cities. Curtis Lewa, Republican and Independent, running for the mayor of New York. We thank you for being with us again on Bloomberg Radio. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Coming up, we assemble the panel to talk about not just the race in New York, but everything that we've discussed so far this hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis are straight ahead as we add one more log to the fire. Donald Trump suing the social media giants, Facebook, Twitter, Google. We'll find out what's behind this. Take the pulse of our political team next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for making us part of your Wednesday as we assemble the panel. Be joined shortly by Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis, who are always here to help us make sense of the madness. So thank you for also being part of the program today. As we read the headline at the terminal, Trump's revenge lawsuit against social media giants explained. Indeed, he has filed the lawsuit. Former President Trump, lawsuits against Facebook, Twitter, and Google over their decisions to suspend or ban him from using their platforms. He talked about it today. I'm filing as the lead class representative a major class action lawsuit against the big tech giants, including Facebook, Google, and Twitter, as well as their CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg, Sundar Pichai, and Jack Dorsey. Three real nice guys. Real nice guys, as he says, not always pronouncing their names. Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis are with us. Great to have you here, guys. Rick, I'll start with you as... The Republican in this case, uh, is this lawsuit going anywhere? What's discovery going to bring? And and do we know the First Amendment? Yeah, I think that um, uh, you got to almost take a step back and say, you know what? When we started this month, uh, everyone was talking about lawsuits and Donald Trump, but it was the Southern District of New York in the suit against <laughs> the Trump Organization. Uh, now we're talking about Trump's lawsuit. And I would not be surprised that part of his calculation isn't to change the narrative mm-hmm. and to get everybody talking about him suing people rather than him getting uh, persecuted by the Southern District. So uh, that being said, uh, if you believe part of that, then this is tactical, not strategic, right? Mm-hmm. It's not an actual campaign that he's going to wage to bring down and gain access to Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the Google thing, I can't understand. I mean, they, 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 they don't have a horse in this race when it comes to his social media. But uh, regardless, um, I, you know, I, I, think he, I think he's playing politics here, uh, taking advantage of the fact that public sentiment is turning against big tech mm-hmm. and he's jumping right in on it. It's easy politics for him, though, right, Jeannie? We've talked about that. It's actually kind of a one of the few bipartisan issues out there. Conservatives say big tech is ruining the country due to censorship. And, of course, uh, the left will say big tech is ruining the country because they're too big to fail or something like that. Uh, they're, they're, they represent a monopoly. But we're talking about Section 230, uh, Jeannie, and, and I'm still confused about where these companies are violating the First Amendment. 
Well, you're confused because the claim makes no sense. You, you, the, a private company cannot violate the First Amendment. Only the federal government can. Let's look at the First Amendment. Congress shall not, the federal government shall not violate your rights to free speech. So the legal claim makes absolutely no sense. And that these they, are in fact government entities? That these are government entities. It will fall. But I think it's going to fall even earlier than that because let's not forget, Donald Trump has a history of filing lawsuits that go nowhere because he realizes in the end the downside for him is that he's got to go into discovery to your earlier point. And if that happened, which I think is a big if, those companies will ask him what he was doing on January 6th. Was he inciting an insurrection? All kinds of questions he doesn't want to answer. I'm going to take this a step further than Rick. I think this is about fundraising. He's fundraising on this. He's getting out there. Yes, playing politics. He's trying to raise money. But the lawsuits themselves are frivolous and they won't go anywhere. Do either of you believe that he will run for president again, Rick? You know, I'm very skeptical of it. Uh, I think it's another tactic on his part to remain relevant. You know, he, he holds that cleaver over the Republican Party and all the candidates. But you see more and more other candidates moving around, talking to donors, talking to operatives in the states, talking to state party chairs, and they don't seem daunted by it. So the, I, I look at the marketplace and say, you know, the market indicates that he's not going to run. What do you think, Jeannie? Um, I don't think he's going to run, but he thinks he's going to be reinstated in August. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Another there's frivolous that. thing. Did you yeah. get all the? Okay. <laughs> I heard you that. coughing. I'm sorry. Sure. I choked on thinking about it. But... Yeah, you choked on something. Uh, so, okay. Well, when this happens in August, you're both going to be on that day. But <laughs> I'll have to eat my words at that point, Joe. <laughs> Does, is there a point, though? And, uh, and before we, we turn to another topic. I'd love to hear you both weigh in. Does the does the former president have a point about the services these big tech companies play in the public space, that it is, in fact, some sort of, I, I know they're private companies, they're publicly held, but is it some sort of common area that we all are using, Rick? Sure it is. And, and there's a history around uh, media organizations, which these are media organizations at their core, um, uh, have in the past, uh, laws governing uh, broadcast television have a community service requirement, right? They, they, they have to show that they are doing what they can to um, uh, broadcast what the community service is. But in that case, um, you don't have individual channels that every individual has right. who are required to do that. So uh, I think, look, this is all going to get vetted out. We know Section 230 is under assault on Capitol Hill. Uh, Republicans think it's a uh, access issue and uh, conservatives aren't treated fairly. Democrats want more privacy. Uh, these guys are going to get pulled and tugged, uh, as indicated by the state attorney generals going after the, uh, uh, today um, uh, Apple on its, uh, uh, on its uh, uh, app store. So yeah. I, I think we're just seeing the beginning of a very long period of debate around the proper role and access of these organizations. Well, Rick is right to point that out, Jeannie. The timing here is, is well, important. With, with antitrust efforts coming from both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue, is Donald Trump actually aware of that or his legal team to coincide the filing of this lawsuit? And, and what do you think about these companies and the role they play in the, in the public space? 
I do think that they are, obviously, we know they are under assault from both sides, and the state's lawsuits passed, uh, filed today, um, those are critically important. And, you know, I think the Trump lawsuit itself, the grounds, at least what we understand, are frivolous. But I do think that there are there is going to be an effort, both by the states, but by the federal government at some point in the near future, to address these big tech companies. We've seen, we've all sat and watched as they've been hauled into Congress to answer questions questions. That's coming down the pike. But I don't think that has much to do with the veracity of Trump's lawsuit here as it pertains to him being kicked off uh, these uh, sites because, of course, he was kicked off for inciting violence, not because he was conservative. And it's not a First Amendment issue. What's with Google, by the way? Rick mentioned that. He can't pronounce the CEO's name, obviously, as we just heard. And I mean, they don't have a social media platform. Or Does the lawsuit suggest that somehow conservatives or, or the Trump organization are not being ranked in search results? Or am I just going down the wrong road here? My understanding, that was focused on YouTube, if I have that correct. I may Got have it. that wrong, but I, that's my understanding. And um, you're absolutely right. It's not a Facebook or a Twitter, but <laughs> it's well, big. And he's going to go after all of them, whether he can say their names or not. Yeah. As we spend time with Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributors. We just spoke before you joined us with Curtis Sliwa, who will be running as a Republican and independent, as he told us uh, in the race for mayor of New York. I don't know how long this conversation needs to be, but I'd love for you both to weigh in. It's it's considered common knowledge uh, that this is going to be a very difficult lift for Curtis Sliwa, that Eric Adams is the presumptive mayor, if I can even use that term, Rick. Uh, is this a single issue race with Curtis Sliwa on crime? Well, it is for Curtis. I mean, he's made that the uh, the reason for running, and that's really been his uh, entire uh, uh, image uh, through the Guardian Angel. Was this even a race? And whatnot. So, uh, it's not a race. Um, uh, unlike Mike Bloomberg running the first time as mayor as a Republican uh, right after 9/11, this is a different time. This is a different party. Curtis Sliwa doesn't have the registrations in the city of New York to even compete. Uh, so I think you're right. I think practically speaking, uh, Eric Adams is a presumptive uh, uh, mayor and and probably will conduct his campaign as such. Uh, probably won't engage much with Curtis. And uh, and I think from this point out, you know, we'll be more thinking about what to do as mayor than what to do as a candidate. Yeah, we should note Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg Radio, parent Bloomberg LP. Jeannie, we've talked about this race plenty of times. You know New York. It's home. Is there a race? Uh, there's not much of a race. I mean, you just look at the numbers, seven to one Democratic. But I would say I think it's really important to think about this issue of crime. Adams won running as the law and order, or he's the presumptive nominee. He's certainly the Democratic nominee running as a, a law and order candidate. You've got Curtis Sliwa, obviously the founder of the Guardian Angels. You have, uh, you know, the governor of the state declaring a gun emergency yesterday, the first one nationwide. And you had Joe Biden stepping off the tarmac in Illinois talking talking to the mayor of Chicago about the amount of crime in her city, which was rampant over the weekend. It has been across the country. So it says to me, as we move into 2022, crime is going to be a critical issues and Democrats have to be very, very careful. Not in New York. Adams will certainly win, but they have to be very careful about these calls that they have made or some progressives have made about defunding the police. We have less than a minute here, Rick. Will that be the same on a national level dealing with crime? As you just heard Jeannie mention, it, it was on the agenda for Joe Biden today. 
Yeah, and I think a little bit was cleanup from his press secretary somehow indicating uh, this week that Republicans were the ones trying to defund police. So uh, I think the script got turned a little bit, but I think it will be a hot topic in the midterms. Yeah, we'll be talking more about this with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zano and Rick Davis. Thanks as ever to both of you. We learned a lot today. What an hour. I've got to go home and think about it. We'll do this again tomorrow. Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.